0: Welcome to River Glen, and uh, it's great to see you here in uh, Waukesha, uh, over in Pewaukee and online. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, making us part of your uh, weekend. Hey, before I get started, uh, I want to celebrate something uh, with you, some good news. Uh, last weekend, we had over 1,200 people in person across both our Uh, campuses and that is the uh, largest in-person attendance other than Christmas or Easter since the pandemic uh, started and uh, let's just thank God let's give God a hand for that it's great to see so good to see more and more people who are able to uh, gather together uh, with us on the uh, weekends well uh, a friend of mine uh, by the name of Matteo some of you know Matteo he works for the church recently went to Florida Took some pictures of alligators and sent them to me, like this one right here. Isn't that a cute little alligator? Kind of looks like he's smiling at the camera. And then uh, check that out. Matteo got to hold uh, an alligator. How many of you would hold an alligator uh, like that? Would you you like to do that? I would like to do that. I think that would be really uh, cool. But notice something here. There's a rubber band around the mouth. That's a pretty good idea. Alligators have a lot of strength in their mouth. Interestingly, not so much opening the mouth. They've got great strength closing the uh, mouth. Sometimes people will go to Florida tourists and they uh, want to approach alligators and so there's a lot of warning signs like this next one uh, here. Uh, check this out. It says uh, be gator safe. Uh, we all want to be gator safe. And it says do not approach feed or harass alligators. That's uh, good uh, to know. But uh, notice down here it says remember, a fed gator is a dead gator. Now why do you think a fed alligator, is a dead alligator. It's not because the food harms the alligator. I'm told that if you feed an alligator, that alligator is going to start approaching other people for food. And that's a problem. That's when the authorities have to step in and sometimes shoot an alligator. That's why a fed alligator is a dead alligator, because alligators always want more. And, you know, when I heard that, it occurred to me, I started thinking that, you know, we're kind of the same way. You know, I, I, I want more. Uh, we want more. I want more house. I want more car. I want more phone. I want more money. I want more stuff. A couple weeks ago, I went in for an oil change to the uh, dealership, and it surprised me uh, how much they offered me on a trade-in for my, for my car. I didn't need a car, a new car. Uh, I just needed an oil change, but they made this offer, and I could feel my appetite kicking in. And I looked around at all the new cars in the dealership and they look good, lots of new features. And I started thinking to myself, you know what? This can happen. I might leave here today with a brand new car. I started you know, dreaming and getting really excited about it. But then I called my wife. And let's just say we decided to stick with the oil change. And uh, I did get some new wipers, though, out of it. Now, I want to be clear, nothing wrong with having an appetite. God made us with an appetite for more. You know, our appetite is important for our survival and working hard and enjoying life. Uh, Nothing wrong with our God-given appetite for more. But if we just feed our appetite for more, like an alligator, you know what happens? Our appetite gets stronger, and that can lead to harm for ourselves and our relationships. Well, today we continue uh, in this series called What I Wish I'd Known Sooner, looking at some wisdom from a first century leader in the church by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, that he writes in a letter to a young leader named Timothy. Paul writes all these things that, he, that he's learned that he wished he would have learned at a younger age. And if you're, in your, if you're a teenager or you're in your 20s or 30s, we're gonna try and set you up for success. If you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, or older, we're gonna try and help you avoid some of the common pit, pitfalls that people sometimes encounter later in life. And today I wanna to talk to you about something I wish I had known sooner, and that is what true wealth really is. Here's what Paul says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 He says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That's a fascinating statement that Paul makes to Timothy, and it, it makes all of us, it raises the question for us to think about, what do we believe is itself great wealth? You know, it's interesting, if you think back about 25 years ago, and what did great wealth look like uh, for many of us 25 years ago? Yeah, it looked, it looked kind of like that right there. Remember, remember the minivan? Remember, remember some of these had VCRs? in them, maybe some blinds in the window paneling on the uh, side. Now, if you drive a, a minivan uh, like that uh, today, hey, that's great, more power to you. I just think it's interesting that I th- what I thought was great wealth in 1996, many of us w- would think of something else when great wealth, when we think about great wealth today. So what do you think great wealth looks like today? Maybe, maybe it's professional athletes, actors and actresses, celebrities. Uh, living in a gated community or or maybe it's a country club or maybe you think of uh, luxury vehicles when you think of great wealth or expensive clothes or maybe a yacht or private planes or private security. Those are just a few things that we might think of when we think of great wealth. But Paul saw great wealth as attaining something that money can't buy, contentment. Contentment In the movie Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, two stockbrokers, Jacob Moore, played by Shia, Shia LaBeouf, and Bretton James, played by Josh Brolin, have a very interesting conversation. Here's how, here's how it goes. Jacob says, what's your number? Bretton says, sorry, oh, we'd start you at 300 like everybody else. As a partner, I only pull in 600 and then the uh, bonuses. And then Jacob says, no, 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 your number the amount of money you would need to just walk away from it and live. See, I find every, everybody has a number, and usually it's an exact number. And so what's yours? And then Breton says the number I think that all of us would say, more. More. I mean, don't we all have an internal wish list of what we would do and things that we would buy if we just had more. When, when nor, more comes knocking on the door, the great temptation Is for it to go for stuff and status. But the Apostle Paul's number would be enough. Enough. I mean, isn't it amazing that that some of the wealthiest people in the world have never gotten to the place where they feel content? And this is what I wish I had known sooner. You see, we don't live in a a society or a culture where you go to school, you uh, climb the corporate ladder, and you work really hard to get content. But what if we did? What would you do if I told you that I could teach you in the next 20 minutes how to be the wealthiest person in your family, in your class, at your workplace, without even adding a dime to your bank account? And that's exactly what I want to try and do today. I heard a message on this subject recently by a pastor named Ryan Leake that really inspired me and formed the basis of what I want to share with you today. Today, I want to give you four ways to be truly wealthy that I wish I had known sooner. Paul goes on to say this to Timothy. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be Content. First way to become truly wealthy that I want to uh, tell you to do today is this. Write down what you're grateful for. Write down a list of what you're grateful for. You ever been uh, getting dressed and you look at a closet full of clothes and you say, I don't have anything to wear. Nothing. Today, I want to encourage you to stop and smell the roses. I want to encourage you to, to look around. And count your blessings, because if we 're honest for some of us, our worst day is somebody else 's best day here 's a great exercise for you to do and for me to do we, why don 't we take a field trip around our house in, in every room of our house and just begin take an inventory of what we have? I would bet for many of us when we take that field trip around our house that we could write pages and pages of blessings for many of us we'd come to the conclusion that uh, we we don't we don't just have enough food and enough clothing we would figure out that we have more than enough and maybe we feel like we don't have enough compared to somebody else that we're trying to keep up with but if we can fix our eyes on what god has already done for us, we actually give ourselves a chance to be able to actually feel content. I challenge you to walk into your closet and just say out loud, I have enough. I dare you to walk into your unrenovated kitchen and just declare, I've got enough to feed my family. I dare you to take your kids into their play area and say, repeat after me, I have enough. You might teach your kids that they can enjoy what they have without looking for what they don't have. But I think we need to model this as adults as well. So write down what you're grateful for, because here's what I believe. Gratefulness is the antidote for greed. Gratefulness is what keeps us from living like alligators in a constant state of wanting more. The second way to be truly wealthy is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, many of us read that, we probably think, those who are rich, well, he's not talking about us, he's not talking about me. Twelve years ago, U.S. News and World Report ran a survey and asked people, how much money would it take for you to feel fulfilled? American households with an income, $25,000, said $54,000. Then I would feel fulfilled. Then I would feel rich. American households with an average income annually of $100,000 said $192,000 a year. It's almost as if for most people... The American dream lies twice as far from where we are right now. We see rich as people who make twice as much as we do. So you may not feel rich today because you got more bills than money, but did you know that about 3 billion people on this earth live on $2 a day? Some of us spend $5 a day on Starbucks. Just kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? In some ways, you can tell how rich you are by what bothers you. When you, know, when you. when you have to wait for your fast food order for you know, two minutes, I get impatient. When Netflix loads slowly and the show keeps buffering, I get frustrated by that. I don't know if it's, if it's me or, or the internet just doesn't seem as fast since the pandemic. I don't know, maybe, maybe more people are on it. Or you forgot your AirPods and you've got to manually hold the phone up to your uh, ear. But, did, but if you drive a car, Did you know it puts you in the top 15% of the wealth in the world? Not a nice car, just a car. Uh, Many of us might read the scripture and think, well, when when it says rich, it's it's not us who are rich. But Paul is talking to most of us. And here's what he continues to say in verse 18. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. And so the second way that you can be truly wealthy is to give something away. If you want to truly be wealthy, utilize utilize your wealth to do good for those in need. Sometimes that means giving to organizations that are making a difference. My wife and I believe that the best place to start is by setting aside 10% of our income for the church. And then beyond that, we look for opportunities to, to help and bless others. And I found that the more willing that we are to live with open hands, the more that God puts in our hands to put us in a position to be able to give more. Sometimes it's not monetary. Sometimes it's going on that field trip around our house and just taking inventory of stuff that we have and uh, looking at some of the things that we could give away and should give away. Here's a little challenge that I want all of us uh, to do. Go through your closet and anything that you've not worn, In the last 365 days, give it away. Just give it away. All of us have a rainy day outfit, right? Maybe it's time for somebody else to get that rainy day outfit. Maybe it's kids' clothes. Maybe you got some kids' clothes or kids' costumes that don't even fit um, anymore. Some stuff that doesn't need to be handed down to anybody. But just give it away. I came across an article in the New York Times about a woman named Elizabeth Chai who decided to do something she called a possession purge. She decided, get this, to give away 2,020 items uh, in her home in 2020 to get rid of them or give them away. And at the end of the year, she felt more freedom because she uncluttered her home. She said, everything is something I want to be in here. And she felt more joy because she donated a bunch of stuff to help other people and to support causes that she cares about. Maybe you've got some items in your home or in storage, and you could make a donation to the Habitat Restore in Waukesha and help those in need. Maybe you ask your kids to pick out some toys that they don't play with anymore, and you educate your kids about goodwill and Salvation Army. You tell your kids, there's other kids that would love to play with your old toys. And you take your kids with you when you drop them off, and you will help your kids develop a generous spirit call me crazy but I believe giving something does more for the giver than it does the receiver and so here's something I want all of us to do today I want you to ask God what's something you can give away and maybe for you maybe you've never set aside 10% of your income for church and 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 I would ask you to pray about that say God what is it that you want our family to do maybe God will lay that on your heart Or maybe God will put another organization on your heart to give to above and beyond the church. Maybe God will put a person on your heart. But my hope and prayer is that if we're really going to walk in true wealth, we've actually got to be more giving than receiving. In his letter to Timothy, Paul goes on and he says, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Number three, what I want to tell you to do today is to leverage your access for the benefit of others. I know in my life I have experienced many blessings and privileges that other people uh, don't have. Now, I know the word privilege can be a hard concept and even a trigger word for some people. Sometimes it comes up in conversations about poverty or racism, but maybe a better way of explaining privilege is with the word access. I know I've been given access. Many people don't have. I grew up in a Christian family that gave me access to church and taught me about Jesus. Uh, My parents worked hard uh, to give me access. My dad had very little access growing up. He grew up very poor in North Carolina. After after the second grade, he dropped out of school to go work on the family uh, farm. Later on, he joined the Navy, met my mom, they got married had three kids and they worked hard to give access to their kids and send them to college. Now is it wrong? Anything wrong? Is it wrong to be given access or to work hard for access? No, absolutely not. After college, I worked for a church in Kentucky for 9 years, church in Kentucky. I mean, gave me access to develop my leadership. They gave Marnie and I access to financial support so that we could move up here many years ago and start River Glen Church. I'm grateful that I've been given a lot of access, more than enough. Here's a question I want you to think about. What access have you been given? What access have you been given? Nothing wrong with being given access or working hard for access, but Paul tells us to leverage that access for the benefit of others, to look for opportunities, to give access to people who normally wouldn't have it on their own. I mean, sometimes that means writing a check. Some of us can write a big check. Some of us can maybe cover lunch for another person. Sometimes that means making a phone call. Some of us can make a phone call that leads to massive opportunities for another person. Some of us have the power to pick up a phone And call one person, maybe somebody who has less access, and listen to their story and encourage them. Right now we live in a country and a world that is divided in so many ways. I believe we could all be a little more generous with access as it pertains to things that divide us. Question we need to be asking ourselves during this time. Is there a need in our world that exists? Maybe we've been ignoring it. And what I want to encourage you to do is to leverage your resources. Leverage your access for somebody else in need. I'm really proud of our church uh, this weekend uh, for the uh, meal packing event that we had Friday night and uh, Saturday. Um, Over 750 people came and uh, volunteered and packed over 140,000 meals uh, this weekend. And uh, we're going to send those meals to Panama. Panama got hit hard by the uh, pandemic, and these meals are going to be just a great help uh, to, to them. And uh, we had a blast packing uh, these meals because this is what true wealth uh, looks like. And we're not just sending food in March of next year. We're sending a team of, of 20 people to Panama to assist the new church that we helped start, Central Bible Church and, and Pastor Jose Rodriguez. I love how we leveraged our access to help others and i love how we've got more opportunities to do that through the thanksgiving food drive and the christmas toy and blanket uh, drive. Paul goes on to say this in 1st Timothy chapter 6. He says, "Tell them to use their money to do good. It should be rich in good works and generous to those in need." Look at this. Always being ready to share with others. The final way that we can be truly wealthy is to budget Generosity. When Paul says, "Always being ready to share with others," here, here's what comes to mind: we're not going to we're not going to be generous on accident. We've got to make a plan to be prepared to do it. My wife and I have a plan. We have a budget that we follow for savings and generosity. And something that really helps me is I don't touch the money. I mean, it's all automated, and so I, I don't I don't uh, touch the money that. Uh, goes from my paycheck, it goes right from my paycheck into our savings. My greedy little hands never touch it. And we do the same thing with River Glen Church. We give twice a month to River Glen through the Pushpay app automatically. And we support two other organizations each month, and that's automated as well. And we didn't just start doing this recently. I mean, we started budgeting generosity when we got married. And the only reason... I share that with you today is because sometimes people will say, well, I would give more if I had more. But is that true? Would we do that? Because you may not have a lot, but what has God given you? And take a look at what author Mark Batterson says, don't let what you don't have keep you from giving what you do have. Paul sums up his thoughts to those who are wealthy in verse 19. He says, By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul says, If we want to experience true life, we've got to make our lives about giving more than receiving. Sometimes I think, wouldn't it be great, you know, if all of us had a six figure, you know, income annually? And then I thought, wouldn't it be even greater? If all of us gave away six figures annually. I mean, realistically, that's not going to happen for all of us. But my hope and prayer for today is that there would be a shift in our hearts and in our minds about what great wealth truly is. I believe something powerful happens in our lives when, number one, we write down what we're grateful for. We go on that field trip in our home and we look around and we say, God, I want to thank you for what I do have. And I don't want to live in a constant state of wanting more. Number two, when we give something away, sometimes it's monetary, sometimes it's just our stuff. Because if we're truly going to be wealthy, that means we live with an open hand. We ask the question, do we have money or does money have us. Number three, leverage our access for somebody else. I know I've been given so much access. And my hope and prayer is that whatever access we've been given, we would give that away to somebody in need. That we would actually look for opportunities to give access to those who wouldn't normally have it on their own. And then number four, I think we're, if we're going to truly be wealthy, I think we've got to budget generosity. We've got to plan for it. It can't be accidental. We've got to be people that say we are going to make a plan. I know for me, I don't trust myself with more. I'm too much like an alligator. And so that, that's why I have a plan for more in the event that more comes. And I believe that is the only way to truly, really be wealthy. And that's what I wish I would have known sooner. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for each and every person with us today or watching this message later on or, or listening to it. God, I pray that we would be people that have a spirit of gratitude for what we have and a spirit of generosity. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to be generous and resources to be generous. I pray that we would put you first. And that you would put us in a position to be just like you in the world around us. And I pray that as we see people in need around us, that we would look for opportunities to leverage our resources. To leverage our access. To help others. And we pray this in Jesus' name.